welcome to Orchard Community Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad you are here to learn, grow, and deepen your relationship with Christ. This week's message is brought to you by Pastor Matt Hoyt. Next week, we'll be continuing our series on Hebrews, and then while we're in the tent from July 31st through August 24th, we'll be back out in the tent with our series, Summer of Love. We're going to spend four weeks talking about love, and I just wanted to mention that we'll wrap up the summer on August 21st with the Lemon Festival, which is kind of a retro barbecue party here at Orchard. We used to be a lemon orchard, so it's kind of an ode to our past, but I want to invite you to join us for that day for lunch and for games and contests and all kinds of fun special music. It's another great day in the life of uh, Orchard Community Church that we'd love for you to be a part of. Well, I want to tell you about a guy named Terry Herbert, and Terry Herbert lived in Stratfordshire, England, and he was one of those metal detector guys, you know, like to find things with his metal detector. And so one day in 2009, on July 5th, he had asked his friend if he could sweep his farmland with his metal detector to see what he could find. And, you know, he was always excited to find something of value or maybe something of historical significance, but nothing, nothing could prepare him for what he found that day. Because at a certain point in his morning, as he was looking for things, he got a big hit and he started digging. And all of a sudden he found something made of gold. And then he found something else made of gold. And in total, he found over 1,500 artifacts made of gold and silver dating from the 7th century, all made by the Anglo-Saxons. It was a find unlike anything that in recent history in England. He said it was more fun than winning the lottery. And he's going to profit from this because the way it works in England is if you find something, you split that with you and the landowner. So he's going to get 50% of what he found. Archaeologist Roger Bland, who managed the excavation, because after a few minutes he realized we better call in an archaeologist, he estimated that his cut would be over $2 million. And in the end, they sold it for the whole thing for $4.3 million, half of which was his. I want to tell you about another guy. His name was L.J. Krumernak, and just a few weeks ago, he was hiking in the Caribou Mountains in Idaho, and he found a 100-million-year-old dinosaur bone. It was a femur from uh, a a dinosaur that is a relative of the T-Rex, and right now it's being studied in North Carolina at a lab, but it's going to come back, and it's going to be a part of the Natural History Museum of Idaho, and it's going to be featured in their 2003 exhibit, Dinosaurs of Idaho. I don't know if you always think of dinosaurs when you think of Idaho, but actually they've had a number of amazing dinosaur finds. So I was reading about these things this week, and I thought how exciting it is that there are still these amazing things to be discovered in our world, even after all these years and all this history. And I was realizing this isn't just true when it comes to ancient treasures and historical artifacts. It's also true when it comes to faith. You see, if we do what millions of people have done over thousands of years, if we seek after God, we will find him and the amazing promises that he has for us. And this is what our kids learned this week at Vacation Bible School. Again, the theme was Dino Dig, Digging for Ancient Truth. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through what our kids learned, and we're going to see that it matters not just for them, but for all of us. So I want to invite you to pray with me now, and we'll get started. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray that you'd be with us this morning, that you would speak truth into our lives, Lord, that you would call us, Lord, to these ancient truths that speak life into us. 
This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get started, I wanted to just point out that I think one of the interesting phrases when it comes to faith that people often use is they'll say something like, I found God. And, and I know what they mean. They mean that they have come to have a connection with God, and that's a wonderful thing whenever it happens. But when you say you found God, it almost kind of implies that maybe God's been lost, or maybe God has been hiding somewhere under a rock or something, and that after a long search and rescue operation, or maybe a good game of hide and seek, you have finally located where it was that God was hiding or where God was lost. And in fact, I think a lot of people actually, maybe without even knowing it, think of faith in this way. They think of faith as something, as something that's really elusive, that's not easy to find. They think of faith as something that only a few people, maybe a certain few special people can find, often maybe in some far off exotic land on a mountaintop. And I, I really do think that's why a lot of people use that kind of terminology because they think of faith in that way. But I wanted to begin by just pointing out that that is not at all the message of the Bible. In fact, the Bible as a whole, this book, what it actually is, is it's the story of God reaching out to humanity. It's the story of God seeking after men and women, human beings, wanting to have a connection with us. That's literally what the Bible is. So we do need to seek God and try to find a connection with him. But when we do, the reality is that all we're really doing is kind of finding God back. Because the truth is that God has been seeking after us all of our lives. So not only can God be found, but God in fact wants to be found right here, right now by regular people like you and me. That, my friends, is the message of the Bible. And so I want to just have that as a foundation as we look into these scriptures today. And our first one is the one the kids recited, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. And it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. This is Jesus speaking here. And I hope that you can hear there's a kind of excitement in Jesus' words there. He is excited about the idea that people would find a connection with God. And the message that he, that he offers here is really super clear. He says, if you seek after God, honestly, you will find him. And I want to remind us, Jesus said these words over 2,000 years ago. Um, they are ancient truth that our kids dug up this week at Vacation Bible School. And the big question really for all of us is, do we believe it? Do we believe that God is in fact not hiding, that God can be found, that God wants to be found right here, right now by people like you and me? Because if you've never considered this piece of ancient truth, I wanna invite you to do that today. To consider that God wants to be found by you and can be found by you and to be a part of your life if you would seek after him just a little bit. That's my invitation for you today if you've never done that. When we do that, however, we not only find God, 
but we also find along with God some really important ancient truths. And our kids discovered some of these ancient truths this week. We heard them say that um, at VBS. Each day they learned about a different ancient truth, and we're going to cover each one of those today. And we're going to begin to, to do that by looking at some other ancient words. We're going to start with the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms written in the third century BC, meaning it was written about 2,400 years ago. So these words are even 400 years before the words we just read that Jesus spoke. They were written by David, the great king. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. So we can guess that he's a guy who knew a thing or two about faith. So let's uh, look at these words from Psalm 139. We're going to look first at uh, verses 1 through 4, and it says this, You have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. I perce- uh, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going in and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. With these words, we find an ancient truth. We find that truth that God knows us. Our kids discovered that on Monday. Here in Psalm 139, King David describes this ancient truth. And I want you to just think about it for a moment. David says that God knows us, but not just a little bit, not in some kind of surface way. David says God knows each one of us deeply. He says that God knows our thoughts, our ways, and our words, even before we speak them. You know, Jesus one time, he said that God knows each of us in such detail that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Which is amazing, especially when you think about the fact that you lose hair every day. So that number changes. Well, not all of us. Some of us have a low count, you know, but... But you know what I mean? It's a shifting number. God knows that detail about you. Yeah, I know. Hard truth, huh? We don't shy from the hard truth here at Orchard. (laughs) But I think in our world today, there are a lot of people who struggle with feeling like they aren't seen. Who struggle with feeling like they aren't known. And those are awful feelings to have. I feel like maybe no one knows me. Maybe no one really cares. And the promise here, this piece of ancient truth, is that we have a God who sees us. And we have a God who truly knows us. And not in some kind of surface way, but knows the deepest part of us. And that is a pretty awesome truth. But We might want to ask, well, how is it that God does know us so well? I want to read on. These next words are from Psalm 139 as well, just a little bit further into the psalm. Uh, David writes this. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. So another important truth that our kids dug up this week is not only does God know us, but God knows us because God is the one who made us. And I want you to notice the way it's described. David's using poetic language here, but he says that God knit us together. I don't know if we've got any knitters in the crowd, but you don't just throw knitting together. It actually takes some skill and some time, especially to do it well. And so this poetic language here is meant to illustrate that we're made with care by God. 
and that we're well made by God. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 calls us God's workmanship or uh, handiwork. The word in Greek in that, in that passage is poema, like a, like a poem or a master piece of art that God has created. Here, David says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Isn't that an awesome phrase? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And because God made us and made us well and cares for us, that means that there is a beauty and a sanctity to every human life. Um, we are, in fact, made in the image of God. And as bearers of that image, again, there's a beauty and a sanctity to every single human life. My question is, is that how you think of yourself? So I think a lot of us sometimes really downgrade the people that we are. And that's not what God does. God made you well and with great care. And this is another ancient truth. God knows you. God made you. And not only has God made you, and not only does God know you, but another ancient truth our kids looked at this week is that God loves you. They dug that one up on Wednesday, if you're following the timeline. One of the biggest spiritual lies that there is in this world is that God will love you and accept you when. When you get your act together. When you clean up your life, when you straighten out the garbage that's going on with you. That is one of the biggest spiritual lies that there is in this life. It's just not true. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible says that God loves the world. And I want you to know that God loves you right now, right here, no matter what, no matter how much of a mess you think that your life may be right now. And if your thought right now in your brain was not me, I want to call you out and I want to say, yes, even you. God loves everyone, again, regardless of what might be going on in your life. But there's something deeper than that that I want to point out here today in our next scripture from 1 John 3.1. Let's look at this. 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. So these words are written by John, one of Jesus' disciples. And here he says that if we seek God and we find him, we are going to find that God calls us to an even deeper level of love than the general love that God has for humanity. God loves all humanity in a general kind of a way. But here, John is saying, when you come to know God, God wants to know you in a personal way and has a personal love for you, calls you to something deeper and richer. And so John, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about this idea that when we come to faith, God adopts us into his family. He becomes our father. We become his children. And just like any good human father would do, it says here that God lavishes his love on us in ways that the world doesn't always experience, doesn't experience, in ways that the world doesn't understand, that deeper sense. And that's what it means at the end when it says they don't know us. What John means is they don't know us as children of God. They don't know us as people who are experiencing that kind of deep and amazing love from God because they can't experience that because they don't believe in or know the one who is doing that loving. 
It's a mystery to them. God invites us to a even deeper kind of love than we might have imagined, something very personal. Now, the last thing I want to say about love before we move on is this, because this is really important. It is absolutely true that God loves you right here, right now, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what the, the mess might be. But hear this, God loves you too much to leave you that way. God loves you too much to leave you in the place that he finds you. Because when you truly love somebody, it means that you want the best for them. You want the very best for them. And so God truly loves you, and that means he desires for your life to change. He desires for your life to change for the better, for you to change for the better, that you might live and reflect his will more and more each day in your life. And the additional promise is God will help you to do that. God will help you along every step of the way. So another important ancient truth that our kids looked at was on Thursday. And they found that if we seek after God, we find that God saves us. And you might say, well, well, from what? What does God save us from? Well, God saves us from sin. And the Bible touches on just a really hard truth about who we are. And the truth about who we are is that we're sinful people. We, we do wrong. We make mistakes. We, we mess things up. And our sin is real. It hurts us. It hurts the people around us. And one of the worst things about us is that often our sin hurts the people we love the most. They're just close and in the trajectory of our mistakes and our failings. And so sometimes the people we love take the brunt of our sin. And our sin no matter how much we try, we can't stop sinning. And so it mounts up more and more and more. And the weight of all the things that we've done wrong rests on our shoulders. And the truth is we have no way to fix it and we have no way to erase it. And so what we do a lot of times is we make up lies to make ourselves feel better. And one of the best ones is, um, I think I do enough good stuff that it outweighs the bad stuff I do. Who made that rule? Just pluck that one out of the air? Where did that come from? And what, how does that really even make sense if you think about it? How does me feeding the homeless over here fix that I was unethical at work and lied to my family over here? Doesn't fix it, doesn't erase it in any way. Can you imagine going into traffic court and saying, you know, judge, I don't think that I deserve this ticket. You should dismiss it because I do a lot of charity work. Judge is going to say, brother, it just doesn't work that way. It's nice that you did those things, but it doesn't fix and it doesn't wipe away the things that you've done wrong. And can you imagine what it would actually be like if God did work that way? Can you imagine the line of people outside of my office door wanting to ask questions like, Pastor, exactly how many hours of service do I need to make up for the lying that I did last week, the cussing that I did last week? Pastor, hypothetically, how big of an offering would I need to make, you know, to, if I just wanted to have a little affair, you know? I mean, if that was the way it worked, it would become this weird transactional thing. It, that doesn't make any sense at all. It's just something that we tell ourselves to try and make ourselves feel good. But the hard truth is that we don't have any way to fix or erase the wrong that we've done. 
But there is good news. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Let's look at that. It says this. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. These words are written by the great apostle Paul, again, some 2,000 years ago. And he says here, we are saved by grace. And I want to tell you how that works. You see, Jesus came to this world, and he lived the life that we live. He lived your life. He lived my life. Only Jesus lived it in the way that we are supposed to, and we just don't. Jesus lived a good and a righteous life. And then Jesus took his good and righteous life, and he offered it to God on the cross in place of our flawed and sinful lives as a sacrifice. And when Jesus did that, when he offered his life in place of our life, he paid the price for our sin, and he brought grace, which means forgiveness from God. And in that way, it is through Jesus that God saves us. And here's the thing. All we have to do for that to be true for us is believe it. Because God's grace only becomes a reality in our lives when we believe that it's true. That's what verse 8 says. It says that grace is a gift we receive by faith. I want you to remember that word gift. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, and you don't even deserve it. It's just something that God gives, the free gift of his forgiveness, and all you can do is accept it. This awesome gift. He also tacks on something really important that no one should ever boast or become spiritually arrogant because of this. Because all that we've ever done is just to receive the gift that God has given us. That's kind of a bonus uh, ancient truth here, by the way. And sadly, it's one that so many people of faith have forgotten over the years. When you see people of faith being arrogant and hard, they've forgotten this truth that there's no room for arrogance in our spirituality. So when we seek after God, we will find that he leads us in this life as well. That's the, that's the fifth thing, the fifth spiritual truth that the kids found, that God leads us. It's not always so easy to live this life. And one of the more difficult things that we encounter is that there are just times when we're not sure exactly what we should do or what way that we should go. And we know that there are lots of paths that, that aren't good, and we see people on them every day. We see people who are on paths that we can identify as clearly destructive or unhelpful. And then we know that there are a lot of other people on paths that seem like they might be kind of good, but in the end, they sort of lead to an empty place where people are longing for something for more, something better. And God promises us something better. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, these are actually fairly well-known words from the Bible it says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lead on, not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. These words were written in the 10th century BC. They're the oldest ones today. They're about 3,000 years old. They were written by King Solomon, a man who was known for his incredible wisdom. And with these ancient words, he is promising that if we trust in God, he says, God will make your path straight. And what he means by that is that, that God will lead you down a good and right path as opposed to a crooked, misguided one that will lead into all kinds of trouble. Some translations say instead of straight path, they just say God will direct your ways to make it more simple to understand. But that really is the promise that God will lead us in this life. 
and it'll lead us to good things. But did you notice what it said? In order for that to happen, in order for us to follow God's leading, we have to actually let him lead. We can't say that we want God to lead and then continue to lean on our own understanding and can continue to do things in our own way. We've got to give him control and we've got to kind of submit ourselves to that lead and that can be really hard for us to do sometimes because we like to be in charge. We like to set the course for our lives. But I want to remind us of something. I want to remind us that the God who made us and knows us, the God who loves us and saves us is a God that we can trust to lead us. And I hope you do. And one of the very best places that we can look for God's leading is in the scripture, in the Bible. Last verse we'll look at today is Psalm 119, 105. And it says there, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Or the old translation, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it's really true. God's word is very much like a light that can guide us through a world that we find is often a kind of dark place. And the reality is that so much of the guidance that we're looking for and so many of the questions that we want answers to, well, those are things that God has already given. God's already given so much of that guidance. God's already answered so many of those questions in the scripture. And it's right there. And all we have to do is read it and find this treasure trove of God's wisdom, of God's guidance, and of God's leading in our lives. And I want to encourage you to do that. In his book, Wisdom Pyramid, Brent McCracken writes this. He says, my life was full of the Bible, learning Old Testament stories on a flannel graph as a child in Sunday school, memorizing the order of the Bible's 66 books at vacation Bible school, doing Bible memory drills, singing that song, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, um, the Bible was a book that shaped my life more than anything else, which is odd looking back on it. An Oklahoma kid being profoundly shaped by an ancient collection of Jewish literature, um, 2,000-year-old Mediterranean letters. But I was, and I am, and my story isn't unique. The Bible has been a treasure source of truth and life over the, all over the world across countless generations. It manages to speak to the soccer mom in San Diego and to the truck driver in Taipei. It guides the life of the skateboarding teenager in 2020 in Buenos Aires, as well as the blacksmith who lived in 1520 in Liverpool. Everywhere you go in the world, people who share almost nothing else in common can say in unison, the B.I.B. B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. This can be said of no other book in the world. No other source of truth is as universally beloved and consistently cross-culturally relevant as the Christian Bible. So just like our kids this week at VBS, and just like millions of people have done over thousands of years, this guy Brent McCracken went digging for God's ancient truth. He went seeking after God, and he found God even as a young child. And he found the amazing promises that God holds for each one of us. And he reminds us that we can find God too. And that we can take hold of this ancient truth, these ancient promises too. Amen. Pray with me. Loving God, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, about finding you and knowing you about experiencing your love and grace about letting you lead us and living our lives for you lord we we pray you would uh, help us to know you or to know you more 
This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.